2: And welcome to Fast Money. President Biden speaking in Pittsburgh, laying out his massive infrastructure spending plan, also laying out his plan to pay for it, which would include tax increases on the wealthy as well as corporate America. Let's get straight to Elon Moy with all the details. Elon.
3: Melissa, the president there trying to strike an inspirational tone, calling on the country to consider the possibility of American innovation. But also underscoring the fact that what he's calling a a once-in-a-generation investment in infrastructure is also fiscally responsible. A few new details that he uh, shared during that speech included that raising the corporate tax rate to 28% would raise a trillion dollars over the span of 15 years. He also said that establishing that global minimum tax on foreign income that would raise another trillion dollars. And he went beyond what the White House had said previously, which is that uh, the two trillion dollars in infrastructure spending would be paid for over 15 years. He said that it would be more than paid for over that period of time, that they could even raise more revenue to make up for that uh, amount of spending, that historic amount of spending Uh, Because he said that this is going to be not just about uh, paying for infrastructure, but also about making America more competitive. So you're starting to hear the argument that Democrats are going to make against Republicans and against some business groups that say that raising taxes on businesses would actually make American companies less competitive, particularly overseas overseas. What the Democrats are saying, what President Biden laid out today is that by creating jobs and creating new opportunities for investment, that is actually going to uh, improve American competitiveness and create a path forward for a stronger economy. We'll see, Melissa, how that ends up playing uh, with Republicans, particularly on Capitol Hill, who are already signaling that they are not going to vote to unwind some of the tax cuts that they put into place just four years ago. But here the President calling for unity, calling for bipartisanship on an issue on which Republicans and Democrats have agreed in the past.
2: What may be stumbling blocks potentially, Elon, is the fact that this plan is very far reaching. I understand that the summary is about two dozen pages. That's the summary of the plan. And it also includes things like child care and, and money for housing. I mean all these things that don't necessarily come to mind when you think about infrastructure.
3: Well, that's right. The plan includes um, $400 billion for what they're calling the care economy. It includes $100 billion for broadband, $180 billion for R&D, money to retrofit schools. So it is Extensive and wide-ranging, and let's remember, this is just the first half of the package. This is the American Jobs Package. They have yet to unveil what he's calling the American Families Package, which will include uh, deeper investments in households and individuals, and that is where we are more likely to see some of the uh, pay-for's being increased rates on. Uh, high-income and wealthy households. So this is only part one of two, and already it is uh, sweeping, large. Democrats would say bold. Republicans would say overreaching. And so I think where you're going to start the conversation on Capitol Hill is not really with bringing the two sides together, but what are the legislative tools that Democrats can use to get this done House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has indicated that she would like to see something pass in the House by July 4th. That's according to a source familiar with her thinking. Uh, We'll see if they're able to meet that timeline.
2: Elon, thank you. Elon Moy, let's bring in our traders for tonight. Uh, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan. We have all been sitting here quietly and, uh, you know, very intently listening to the president unveil this plan, Guy Adami. So when you think back on this plan, do you think mostly about what will be spent On infrastructure and uh, how manufacturers could benefit, how EV makers could benefit, et cetera, et cetera? Or do you think mostly about the rise in corporate taxes and the impact on the markets?
4: Well, I mean, the market doesn't seem to really be all that concerned about the rise in corporate taxes. I mean, because this is something that's been telegraphed for quite some time, and here we are basically SP 4000. So, although I think it's smart to think about it, the market doesn't seem to care. What I do think about and what we've talked about. And, you know, some of the names that Karen's been talking about, like a URI, which she can wax poetic about, are some of these names that will be the beneficiaries. We've talked about Caterpillar. Caterpillar today came within a whisper of its all-time high before it pulled back. You mentioned Vulcan Materials over the last week or so. All these names stand to do really well. The question we have to ask, and I think some of us have answers or or some concerns, is that the stocks basically discounted all that. Mm -hmm. Some of the moves in these stocks have been extraordinary. Uh, again, URI from from where it was in March of last year to where it is today. Caterpillar, same type of thing. So the real question comes down to, is the market ahead of us? And some of these stocks, I think, I think they are, for sure.
2: Yeah, because for as much as the market has already priced into some degree rising taxes, they will have priced in, to some degree, a rise in these stocks uh, in terms of business, Karen. And so how do you approach a name like a URI, which you have owned mm-hmm. um, for some time, Uh, And I've seen a nice rise in. Yes.
5: Mm Yeah, I mean, as Guy pointed out, you know, the depths of March, I think it was maybe 70 last year, and it's 3, whatever, 30 today. I think Guy also pointed out, you know, we've known for a while that we were going to see an infrastructure bill. So I do feel like a lot of it's priced in. And so for me now, I'm probably looking to sell some out of the money calls. But I think Guy made a really interesting point also about taxes in that we've known that for a while that we're likely to see a tax increase and yet the market doesn't seem to care but if you look at some of the names like united rentals like some of the steel stocks the ones that really would be beneficiaries of infrastructure uh... you know they're reflecting it and yet maybe the market just doesn't care about the tax rate rise maybe they don't think it'll happen i actually do think it will happen i think there's sort of enough political will that uh... people thought they the 2017 tax plan was somewhat overreaching in its own way. So, mm-hmm. I think we will see higher taxes and I'm hanging on to my URI, but I'm going to be selling some out of the money calls against it. So it's a little bit frothy. So- I love it though. One one more thing I want to add. Mm-hmm. The business model's fantastic when you have higher utilization and not higher costs. It drops down to the bottom line a lot. It's very profitable.
2: So that would be really, really, really good news if the market is already priced in this tax increase, considering the S&P 500 closed at a record high today, Tim. So do you think that it has? Or do you think that it's only now becoming a reality with Biden bringing up once again the example of Amazon paying zero in taxes and that average school teacher paying 22 percent?
6: I heard that speech, and I heard a lot of things that are very important to our country and but we're dropping this into a market context only so I mm-hmm. just hear hear the, these this analysis i I heard a lot about taxes I heard a lot about you know, big tech uh, having a target on their back. Um, I heard a lot about, uh, again, I, I, you know, the ability of companies to, to continue to buy back uh, the aggressive pace that they're doing. Like, I, I, I'm of the view that the market really just has not priced in the multiplier effect differential from higher taxes versus the short-term gain from, from stimulus. And, and look, um, we're starting to get some detail on taxes today, or at least really where it's leaning. So I think that that's the point. Um, yeah, higher taxes. Sure. You could see the minute the, uh, you know, the, the polls came in in Georgia, um, what the composition of the Senate was going to look like and what that would mean for, for tax legislation or the possibility of tax bills. Um, but now you're getting some detail on what you know minimum taxes might look like and, and which part of, of the tax structure is going to be uh, you know, gone after. Um, so, again, for equities, I, I don't think equities have really begun to address this, uh, especially at a time when, look, at some point. We're going to have to pay back uh, some of this, and I think that the, the context of today's announcement, a lot of that was priced in.
2: Okay, uh, Dan, what, what do you make of this whole package?
7: Yeah, I mean, Tim just mentioned a word, payback, and and so you know what happened in 2018 is that we borrowed a trillion and a half dollars from the future, we gave it to corporations, and what did they do with it? They did not use it to invest. In America, they did not use it to invest in their businesses, to hire people, that sort of thing. They bought back their stock. So over the next two years, I think buybacks in the U.S. equaled probably about a trillion and a half dollars, which was the tax cut um, at that point. So what I like about this plan is that you know there is going to be some sort of uh, you know focus on actually. Investing in infrastructure, that sort of thing. So, you know, I think that the pendulum is going to shift. I think that every new um, administration that we get, we're going to have this fight on taxes back and forth. We're probably going to arrive at something that is in the mid-20s for corporations. We know that the nominal tax rate was much lower than 35 percent before they cut it in 2018. But I guess at the end of the day, if we can find that right equilibrium where corporates feel incentivized to invest their capital, then that is probably going to be the best thing for America. And then at the end of the day, also, if we reshore a lot of these jobs, there's been a five-year attack on globalization. And all of a sudden, our industry seemed to be well-positioned, whether it be because of the disruptions of the supply chain that made evident during the pandemic. We want to make a lot of stuff here. Intel just told us they want to make chips here. They want to make foundries here. Our auto companies are investing in EV and autonomous. And that's going to be great for America. I just think that we need to find the right tax rate and the right equilibrium as far as the investment's concerned, and then maybe this plan is on uh, path to do that.
2: Yeah, equilibrium is important, especially to the markets, Guy, but to Dan's point on buybacks, even if just the element of buybacks and that support in the market, if that goes away entirely or almost entirely um, because the gravy train of the tax cuts is gone, then, you know, you lose that one support of the market, and, and that could be trouble for equities
4: yeah that's an interesting point and i i completely understand it at that level and and i would push back and say well i'd also say the companies have gotten lazy over the last twelve years because they haven't had to focus on their businesses because money's been so cheap and all they have to do is buy back stock and watch the stocks go higher so if you take that away from them mm. maybe it'll force them to actually be better operators so in a perverse sense it might be the most bullish thing possible for the stock market i think that's just another way to look at it again i just think that Fed policy over the last 12 years has made people lazy, lazy in so much to be able to buy back stock. You take that away from them, it forces them to focus differently. And I think that's a bullish thing.
2: All right. For a more straight reaction to the infrastructure package, let's turn to Savita Supermanian, head of U.S. Equity and Quantitative Strategy at Bank of America Securities. Savita, great to have you with us. Um, you have said that you believe the market was pricing in infrastructure for a long time. And so are there any surprises in what Biden unveiled?
8: Yeah, you know, I think that the market is is pricing in the good news around infrastructure. And if you look at just a few different measures of valuation, um, you know, market cap of the S&P to money supply, um, that indicator suggests that the market is expecting to see over $2 trillion of near-term stimulus, just based on getting back to some kind of average multiple. Now, I think to, to your trader's point... I don't think the market has necessarily priced in the negatives, which are how are we going to pay for this? And where I worry is that we're starting to hear more and more concern from investors on tax hikes. And while that's not necessarily anathema to corporate earnings for this year, we're still expecting to see very strong corporate earnings. Um, We do think that you know potential reversal in, in the tax hikes based on Biden's current corporate tax proposals could take as much as 5 to 10% off of earnings growth for this year. Now, remember, we're still forecasting about 20% earnings growth. So we'd still see strong earnings growth, but there is a a pretty big differential between, um, you know, kind of pre- and post-tax reform, what that earnings growth is going to look like. Um, And, again, you know, I think the the problem is we're likely to see fiscal uh, spend and infrastructure spending Mm -hmm. over a protracted period of time, whereas tax hikes, hit immediately, um, you know, probably sometime next year if we see them. So I think that's the, the risk is sort of the timing of the good news, the uh, immediate hit of potential negatives.
2: That's an interesting point, That's that this, this stimulus to the economy will happen over such a prolonged, uh, you know, amount of time versus the immediate hit. But the 5 to 10% earnings growth haircut, Savita, that is based on a 28% corporate tax rate?
8: Exactly. It's just okay. based on the partial so- reversal in the Bush tax cut and then the the foreign earnings um, uh, uh, excess taxes. So what does that do to
2: multiples and for your expectation for the S&P 500?
8: Well, so we were kind of baking that in. And Mm -hmm. as as you know, we're not super bullish on stocks. In fact, our target for the S&P right now is below where we are. We're we're looking for 3,800 on the S&P by year end. And, you know, I continue to say, I think that action this year is gonna be in earnings, not in multiple expansion. But where you are going to see multiples continue to expand is in the cyclical GDP-sensitive areas of, of the market. So I'm a big fan of industrials, even, even though they've run quite a bit since, you know, last March. I mean, I think that what we need to remember is, yeah, we've seen industrials and cyclicals and CapEx beneficiaries do really well since last March. But think about where we were last March. Last March, the world was ending. We were in a complete global collapse. Of course, Stocks have gone up since then, but I think what's interesting is that we've seen new highs for tech, you know, for every month since uh, since late last year, whereas we're only starting to see new highs in some of these industrials and CapEx beneficiaries. And on a valuation basis, mm-hmm. you know, consumption plays, COVID beneficiaries are still trading at premia in some cases to CapEx beneficiaries. So I think that there's still room to go in this cyclical um, you know, kind of CapEx uh, beneficiary trade. And I like industrials. I like select materials. Um, I think there are pockets of the market that can do really well um, on a continued basis, uh-huh. even though we've seen such a strong run in some of these areas.
2: Savita, thank you. Good to speak with you. Savita Supermanian, Thanks. For a look at some of the stocks that could benefit from the infrastructure bill, head on over to cnbc.com slash pro. Let's quickly trade this. Uh, Tim, I'll go to you. Uh, she's already factored this in. She's factored in a 20% a corporate tax rate and will stand pat on our estimates for the S&P 500. Make it feel better.
6: Well, um I'm not sure. I, I, I think the market is yet to, to really address and pay for the taxes. So what she said about the, the companies that benefit most and look I, look at it, GM, a name you know I'm long, case in point, that stock did nothing for five years, nothing. Um, and so talk about reinvesting in their business and talk about reinvesting in the things that are part of the infrastructure bill and the focus of this country like EV and efficiency um, and, you know, where they're creating jobs. So um, I, I think this is about multiple expansion. Remember, in terms of industrials and commodities, I don't want to buy them when they're cheap. I want to buy them when they're expensive. And that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing them actually re-rate. That's the time to own them, uh, to me, as an investor.
2: All right, let's move on here. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking out about vulnerabilities in the hedge fund world. Let's bring in Steve Leisman, who's got more on that. Hey, Steve.
9: Melissa, yeah, the blow-up of Archegos, a family office, uh, as you know, masquerading as someone in the hedge fund. Gotten the attention of top financial regulators, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, that brings together all the top financial regulators, including Yellen and uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell, just releasing a statement saying the issue was discussed during their closed-door session this afternoon. No details were provided, but it was the first FSOC meeting chaired by Janet Yellen as Treasury Secretary, and she definitely signaled a more aggressive stance on regulation compared to her prede- predecessor, former Secretary Steve Mnuchin, saying that FSOC needs to do more to address the financial system vulnerabilities, Yellen said she was reestablishing the hedge fund working group that Mnuchin had disbanded. Yellen said FSOC would look at how hedge funds amplify stresses on the financial system, will also look at vulnerabilities of non-bank financial intermediaries, open-ended mutual funds and money market funds, all things that have been on the list but not necessarily focused on. Also pledging to review disruptions in the Treasury market last spring, that came from the pandemic and forced the Fed to intervene to provide liquidity. Finally, the vulnerability of the financial system to climate change, discussed for the first time by FSOC. Melissa?
2: So they won't say that this is a, directly in response to what's gone on at Archegos, that it was in, in the works beforehand? Nothing to do with it?
9: The hedge fund thing was, yeah, but we did find thing. out from a, a readout they provided that, in fact, this Arch, Archegos, I guess it's pronounced. You, you tell me, Melissa. It's a to me. Um, but in any event, uh, it was... Um, actually discussed at this fsoc meeting
2: okay thank you steve i'm just going to call the family office headed by bill fong um so karen <laughs> is this a, g- a good thing or a bad thing thanks steve uh for the hedge fund industry to get this working group um you know restarted
5: uh well that is a good question depends what they what they make of it right yeah. but it would seem to be that pre- protecting actually banks from, I don't know, at what point did they, were they, did they become aware that, wow, they all had this exposure, and that, that makes it that much riskier, because if everyone wants to try to get out at the same time, we see what happens. For hedge funds who want to continue to do this kind of leverage, probably a bad thing, but that, that's okay. Yeah.
2: I mean, with e- Tim, you're shaking your head. No? Doesn't make a difference.
6: Well, I, no, no, no I, I, I agree with what Karen's saying. I'm shaking my head thinking that, you know, poor banks, like they didn't know what they were doing. Come on. They've got they've got very sophisticated risk management teams. Some banks we all made money off of this. Of <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, again, so so and, and by the way, trading swaps is one of the most profitable things you can do. They make a lot of money on swaps. They make more money trading swaps than they do on cash. So, um, you know, to the extent that they took some risk. I mean, they're big boys. I don't know that we need to protect the banks from from hedge funds who are sophisticated investors. I think they sought out that business. Um, I, I think there's look. I'm not worried about the bank's balance sheets here, I think at least overall. I think there's significantly less leverage in the system. I think hedge funds, as we said this two nights ago, uh, probably have leverage similar to where we were back at the Lehman crisis. And it's not it's not you know, catastrophic levels, but it's a lot higher. I think banks balance sheets are very different. They're fine. Yep.
2: All right, we've got an earnings alert for you on Micron. Shares are jumping in the after-hours. Josh Lipton's got all the details. Hey, Josh.
10: So, Melissa, well, remember heading into this report, this stock had rallied about 20% this year. It was up about 110% in the past 12 months and now still higher here in the after hours. Micron beating on the top and bottom. Q3 guidance also stronger than expected. They catch up with Matt Bryson over at Wedbush. He says inventories and accounts receivable came down in the quarter. So that suggests Micron is really shipping everything they can. Having said that, he does have a neutral rating here on valuation. On the call, CEO Sandra Morotra is saying they're seeing Micron is seeing higher demand across multiple end markets talked about the data center where enterprise demand is starting to improve in pc they continue to see healthy demand mobile revenue grew 21 percent auto more demand than micron can supply bottom line 2021 is shipping up to be solid he said with the overall outlook improving since the last earnings call though he did note that supply is constrained with lean dram inventories melissa back to you
2: all right josh thanks josh Lipton, guy dami what do you think of the report
10: it's amazing.
4: Operating margin came in north of 20%. Same quarter last year was 11.3%. You say, okay, you know, maybe it's not a great comp. Well, the street was looking for, I think, 17%. So this is a really good quarter. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Coco Beware was on last night talking about the options action in Micron. So I think Mike had it on. I think you stay with Micron. Uh, I think it continued to, to grind higher from here.
2: That would be Mike Co. for all you who need a dictionary That's for what that. what I said. Um, Dan, what do you think of Micron here?
7: I love it that Guy Adami immediately goes to the operating margins. Mel, you've been doing this with Guy for how long? Too Does long. he always go to the operating margins usually. every single usually. time? Usually,
2: Especially for chip companies. Usually, yeah. Yeah. usually.
7: I love it. I love it. it. Listen, I think they're saying all the right things. And I think that um, that supply constraint and you think about those secular areas where they're exposed, AI, 5G, that sort of thing. I I think it probably sets up pretty well. I wouldn't be so concerned about valuation in this market um, as that analyst that uh, Magnum PI just referenced.
2: And Magnum PI would be Josh Lipton. Coming up, that's a wrap on Q1. All the major indices posting their fourth straight quarter of games. So, what is ahead? We'll dig into CNBC's quarterly stock report to find out where the top strategists, portfolio managers, and CNBC contributors see the markets heading from here. And later, Microsoft gets enlisted, shares soaring in a multi billion dollar deal with the U.S. Army. We got the details straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big day for stocks to close out the quarter with the S&P 500 hitting a fresh intraday high. It closed just shy of that level. The Dow closing in the red but still finishing Q1 in the green. Energy was the best sector Q1 putting in its best quarter ever up more than 29 percent while consumer staples lagged as the worst sector up just more than a percent. With Q1 coming to a close, it is time for our CNBC quarterly report and we have asked some of the brightest minds on Wall Street where they think the market is heading for this year. So of course we at Fast Money thought it would be a perfect Time to play a little game. We love games. To see how our traders' answers uh, line up with the survey, they've got their whiteboards ready with dark markers. So let's dive into our first question What is the most crowded trade in this market? Write your answers on your boards with your dark markers. There you go. Good job, guys. All right. Some people are writing very long answers. Time is up. Time is up. Let's see your answers. Hold up your boards. Karen, put your pencils down. Hold up your boards. Most crowded trade, okay. Reopening, short US dollar, Fed. Dan's still writing, it's gotta be a, a short bonds. Okay. Um, it doesn't line up at all with what our survey said. According to our survey, 41% of voters, which is the majority here, say Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the most crowded trade, followed by big tech, cyclicals, and small caps. All right, wipe your boards down, please. Clear your boards. We're going to mm-hmm. get to the next question. <laughs> uh, over the next 12 months, this is a would you rather, so they borrowed this from us. Would you rather buy J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, PayPal, or Square? It's Four choices, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, PayPal, or Square. So write, 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 people. I mean, how long is this going to take? It's like four letters at the most. Okay. All right. Time's up. Time's up. Markers down. Hold up your whiteboards. Uh, Two, three, J.P. Morgans. Very interesting. Guy is the only one with square. According to our survey, 48% say J.P. Morgan. So you nailed it. You nailed it, guys. Zero percent said square guy. You're alone out there. All right. Great job, Guy. Clear, clear, g- clear tip, your board.
4: Generally speaking, that's clear. <laughs> that You're
2: alone. A boy. <laughs> uh, clear your <laughs> boards. Let's move on to a reopening play. Okay, here's a question. Over the next 12 months, would you rather buy Hilton, Airbnb, or Live Nation? Hilton, Airbnb, or Live Nation? Okay. Right, right, right. Okay. Hold up your boards, please. Hold up your boards. And we have, well, obviously, Karen Karen says Live Nation. Nation. Okay, so two Live Nations here, 50% of our panel. Survey says Hilton. Hilton had half the votes. Only Tim here said Hilton. Only 19% said Live Nation. Good job, guys, with your whiteboards and writing and all that. Good job. All right, coming up, a big win from Microsoft today. Sending shares zooming higher. Much more on that straight ahead. Plus, back to markets. Uh, the entertainment company run by Hollywood power broker Ari Emanuel is making another attempt to go public, and it's got a brand-new director on its board. We'll tell you who it is when Fast Money returns.
11: At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
9: Is there
3: anything you can't do?
11: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... nope.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Microsoft topping the tape today. The stock taking a big leg higher after winning a U.S. Army contract for augmented reality headsets. The steel could be worth nearly $22 billion over 10 years. Dan, how important is this in your view?
7: I mean, it's a great deal. And it actually ties into what we're talking about with infrastructure. I think Microsoft, I think Alphabet, I think AWS. These are all infrastructure plays, too, when you think about reshoring and you think about our government getting technologically more advanced. So I think it's a great deal. I would also say that Microsoft's probably the best-looking chart in the market. When you look at the consolidation, it's been over the course of this first uh, quarter up 6% of the year, only down a few percent from its all-time highs.
2: Quite a proclamation by Dan. There, best-looking chart on the market, guy. You agree? Well,
4: I haven't looked at all the charts in the market, but that's that's,
2: that's good to me. Apparently, Dan. No, has. I think you've had the pullback. From,
4: you've had the pullback from 2:45 um, down to these levels here. I think Dan's right into earnings. I think the best-looking thing on this show, though, if I may for a second, is that Naugahyde vest that Tim is sporting. That thing is just.
6: Fantastic. It actually looks
2: like a super not, fine I mean,
6: wool of some sort, Tim. Yeah. Would you like to comment? Look, it's not, it's not <laughs> Naga Hide, let's just say. I haven't worn Naga since the 70s. Um, but, uh, you know, it's quite a mission in and
2: of itself. <laughs> Coming up, Patel Take software the fifth. Take the fifth. Downloading some big games today. We are breaking down the moves when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple shares rallying today on the back of an upgrade at UBS. It's a call of the day. The firm slapping a buy rating on the stock, upping the price target by $27 bucks to $115 a share. Um, shares are $122 right now. Analysts noting Apple's EV car ambitions haven't been priced into the stock. So let's, let's trade this one. What struck me here is that Big Cap Tech overall had a very good day. We saw the Nasdaq um, really make some pretty strong advances. This in the face of a 10-year yield, the topped 1.74%, Tim.
6: Yeah, I, you know, look, if you look at the triple Q, so the Nasdaq 100 against the S&P, uh, a lot of that, you know, call it destruction relative value-wise was, was put in, I think, the, you know, through about two weeks ago. Since that point, especially also if you look at semiconductors, they've outperformed the S&P by you know, almost 8% over the last couple of weeks. In terms of Apple, uh, on the charts, it's, it's trading below the 50 for the longest period it's had since the middle part of 2019. Uh, to the extent that you need a catalyst, you need another story to talk about outside of 5G and refresh, You know maybe this is the story, but I, I just don't think we're ready to ascribe a particular value. I think the story with Apple is one where this is gonna be a longer refresh cycle and 5G is a gift that we'll keep giving for a couple of years.
2: I want to make a correction here. UBS raised the price target to 142 which makes a whole lot more sense than 115 mm. That's for sure, 20 bucks above where it closed. Guy, where do you stand on Apple at these levels?
4: There's there's never a be- – listen, the analysts are never going to get fricasseed for upgrading Apple. So 142 I mean, if you get there on the $6 they're going to earn, you're talking about a name with a 26 multiple, which people seem to be comfortable with. The market seems to be comfortable with. I don't think – the 10-year yield story is, a, is that detrimental to Apple. But in terms of NASDAQ overall, I think it's acclimatizing. It's getting used okay. to these lofty levels. And as long as it continues to sort of get used to the 20,000-foot level, uh, it'll be easy to get to the summit, which, by the way, happens, I think, in May for Mount Everest. You get to a certain level, though, at Everest where you're in the death zone, and we're getting precariously close to it. I think, in terms of yield. So I'm still of the belief yields go higher, and I do think it's going to be very negative for the Nasdaq at a certain
2: point. Some people see climatization. Some people see frog in boiling water, but we'll have to see on that. Um, We've got some star-studded news in the IPO world for that. Let's get to Deidre Bosu, who's got the details. D.
0: Melissa, Endeavor Group filing for an IPO. This is, of course, the talent agency company backed by Ari Emanuel. And it comes after it was forced to abandon its listing in 2019 after weak investor demand. So key question here, what has changed between now and then? Well, for one, the IPO market has been hot and there are more ways than ever to go public. Endeavor, though, sticking with that traditional IPO, because this time it has some big name anchor investors, including Dragoneer, Elliott Investment, Mubadala, that's Abu Dhabi's wealth fund, Chinese internet giant Tencent, and Dan Loeb's third point, several others. Now they have agreed to buy shares ahead of the IPO at 24 bucks a pop. A few other interesting bits from the S1 guys. Elon Musk, Tesla CEO or Techno King as he prefers, is on the board as a director nominee. There is an agreement for Endeavor to buy 100% of the UFC. It currently holds a 50.1% stake, but upon completion of the IPO, it will purchase the rest. Now, what hasn't changed? Endeavor is still losing money. Revenue shrank last year amid the pandemic to $3.5 billion from $4.6 billion in 2019. Net losses accelerated to $625,000 from $530,000 in 2019. The Yaswan also breaks out the different businesses. Sports properties, including UFC, made up 20 percent of 2019 revenue, events, experiences and rights, which, of course, got hit hard during the pandemic. That made up more than 40 percent representation, 36 percent. Back over to you, Melissa.
2: All right, Deidre, thank you. So an increase in celebrity investors accelerating losses.
5: Karen, where do you come out on this? I think it's interesting, actually. I mean, it's not like a, Elon Musk is on a lot of boards, right? So um, I think that's actually interesting and in that they have, they're not going to have another failed deal, right? I don't know if you remember two years ago, it was really a very tough time. I don't know if it was like Smile Direct or something, which came out the day before. It was a disaster. So this time they'll get it done. I think the focus here, obviously money losing isn't great, but the focus on sports And when you think about the sports contracts recently signed and how gigantic they are, I think that will create enough interest. They will they'll have a successful deal. All right. Coming up,
2: cloudy with a chance of profits. Why often traders see some dark skies over one cloud name will bring you the trade when fast money returns. Check out the moves in the software-as-a-service stocks, or SaaS stocks, Twilio, Shopify, Trade Desk, Zoom, Adobe, all outpacing the broader tech rally. So is the cloud trade headed skyward again, or is today's jump just a fake out? Dan, obviously this is a high valuation group, so it got taken down when interest rates went up. What do you think?
7: Yeah, I think you continue to sell rallies in this group. I think a lot of it has to do with valuation. Guy said he's not worried about Apple's valuation at 26 times because rising yields. I definitely think that is a situation that does not apply to this group. And I also think that the pull forward that they had is going to show during the pandemic is going to show a lot of decelerating metrics that they're going to have to grow into. The high valuation stick out like a sore thumb to me right now.
2: Karen, are you still uh, short software?
5: I am and I I am today It was up the, the 2% that IGV that I'm short and I find myself agreeing with every single thing Dan just said I just think valuations are really high and as rates go higher which I think they will it's going to put a lot of pressure on these companies that are also beneficiaries of somewhat of pandemic but also you know some shift to working from home that's going to be part of our lives going forward but too expensive for me I'm sure.
2: Let's bring in um, Coco Beware, as he is sometimes known here. Mike Coe, you notice bearish activity in one of the names. Mike.
1: Yeah, so I was taking a look at CRM, Salesforce. So we did see calls outpacing puts by about one and a half to one, but that is actually less than the two to one that the stock has typically averaged over the last 20 days or so. Now, normally we focus on the most active options. In that case, today, the May 210 strike was most active. But that activity was neither directional nor volatility. It was just a big synthetic that traded. So looking a little bit further down, the trade that really caught my eye was the June 2022 175 strike puts. Somebody paid ten dollars and fifty-five cents a contract for twelve hundred of those. That's an outlay of over one and a quarter million dollars of premium that obviously is making a bearish bet on CRM that it could decline twenty percent or more over the next year and a half or so. So it's a long-dated bet, it's a lot of premium, and it's quite far out of the money. All of those things were unusual and definitely caught my eye because it seems to be playing on the idea that the weakness in the name that we've seen over the last several months could continue.
2: All right. Thank you for that, Mike Coe. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got your final trade. It's time to go around the horn for the final trade. Tim Seymour, what do you say?
6: In line with our earlier conversation, GM is going to spend $27 billion on EV. They're going to sell a million EV cars or autonomous uh, uh, systems by 2025. I think that's the story.
2: Karen Feinerman.
5: Yeah, so as rates go up and looking for low valuation stocks, Walgreen Boots came out with their uh, earnings today, which were very good. Roz Brewer, the new CEO, instead of doing the kitchen sink, she was very positive. I like it. Even up here, rallied 4%. I still like it. Dan Nathan.
7: Uh, Yeah, so we were talking about some of those high valuation software names. I mean, Microsoft does trade at a high valuation, but not relative to some of its peers. Even though it's a big, big one, I like it playing for a breakout here
2: Microsoft. Guy Dami.
4: In the Fast Money archives, Karen had a great line. She once said, I would agree with Dan, but then we'd both be wrong, which just (laughs) makes me laugh every single time. (laughs) Uh, Qualcomm getting off the mat here, Mel.
2: Q-C-O-M. I'm going to embroider that on a sampler. All right, thanks for watching Fast Money. I will be back tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, for our CNBC special, Race and Opportunity in America, the Asian American Experience. So I will see you then. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.